All right, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to begin by reading 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. We've been working our way through these first six verses. Of course, we were interrupted last week by our guest speaker from uh, Uganda, Israel, Sakamate and his wife Ruth. Continue to pray for them, would you please? So we got as far as verse 4. Let me read all six verses again, and then today, Lord willing, we're going to finish out this first section of 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, fear of God, respect for God. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. Pray for open hearts and open minds as we finish this section on the role of wives in the marriage relationship. And we pray that your spirit would give us insight and understanding uh, that we would properly and appropriately transmit and translate this with right understanding. Bless this time of study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For in this manner. Now, we already saw in verse 1 where Peter says likewise. And when he said likewise, he meant in the same way that we've already discussed submission to governmental authority, submission to your employer, or in the case of slaves, which were very common in biblical times, slaves to masters. The point Peter is trying to make Whatever realm of life, whatever area of life we're dealing with, there will always be uh, someone in authority over us. Sometimes we're in authority over someone, but then there will be somebody in authority over us. God has created an order for this world to operate in, for our cultures, our societies, and even down to the marriage relationship to avoid chaos and confusion and anarchy, if you will. And ultimately... It's our way of showing our respect for God as the ultimate authority in the universe. So that was likewise. Now we have in verse 5, for in this manner, the manner that Peter has described in the first four verses of chapter 3. I have five things here that I've called from what Peter has told us in these first four verses. And again, we know that it pertains specifically here to women. One, be submissive to your own husbands. You don't have to submit to everybody's husband, but God does want you to submit to your own husband. And then secondly, win them over. So you see, being in submission to them doesn't mean you're acknowledging that they're superior and you're inferior. In fact, Peter is telling you here how you can influence them for good. Win them over with your chaste conduct. 
which means purity. And so um, the, the way that you talk, the way that you dress, the types of TV programs or films that you watch or don't watch, that's fine. If you choose not to, that's probably even better. But I knew a pastor's wife many years ago who was all addicted to these romance novels. And I mean, she had a whole basement full of these things. Massive volume upon volume upon volume. And I could see that it was not a healthy thing for her or for her marriage to be addicted to these romance novels which get pretty racy sometimes. So if you want to influence your husband to be a godly man, don't let him walk into the kitchen or the bedroom or the dining room and find you reading a romance novel. Your chaste conduct. Or don't be, uh, you know, dressing or uh, adorning yourself in such a way that he's suspicious that you're doing it for somebody else besides him. We talked about that last week. All of a sudden, when you see a radical change like that, and it could be on it with a man too. You know, maybe your husband's a first-class slob. No show of hands. But all of a sudden, one day, you know, he comes back and he's got a new slick haircut and he's had a mani-pedi. And now, you know, he's wearing a suit when he never wore suits and ties before or a sport coat. Maybe he's got some, you know, top siders on. and he looking, you know, pretty... Oh, he just went and bought a new convertible. You know what I mean? There's some warning signs you can look for. Win them over with your chaste conduct. Thirdly, accompanied by fear. Again, reverence and respect for God. That sets the kind of example for him that God wants you to set. And if you don't have reverence and respect for God, then you probably won't have any for your husband either. Fourth, prioritize cultivating your inner godly beauty over your outward appearance. Again, Peter didn't say ignore the outward appearance, but he said, Don't, do not let your adornment be merely outward. He's teaching you ladies that your first priority, your highest priority should be cultivating your inner godly beauty through your personal relationship with God. And that kind of beauty radiates to the surface. It's an interesting phenomenon that I have observed. I don't know how many of you would agree, but uh, I think as a believer, when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the Bible definitely teaches us we have discernment, we have insight that goes beyond what we see with our physical eyes. And sometimes you can see the person, a woman or a man, either one, who has this amazing outward appearance where you would say, man, that is a beautiful woman or a very handsome man and yet at the same time something inside of you is telling you but they're ugly because they're ugly inside their hearts are not pure and then yet you can see someone who from all natural perspectives you would say they're kind of plain or homely or whatever and yet there's something about them that radiates from them you see, I, you, it's like I don't know what it is they're not pretty, but they really are. And what that is, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God in someone. That's what we're talking about here. 
And then uh, fifth, the ultimate manifestation, according to Peter, who is speaking by the Holy Spirit, the ultimate manifestation of that inner beauty is a gentle and quiet spirit. Which again, so often is the case that what God is calling us to is the exact opposite of what the world is calling us to. God is calling us to be humble before Him, to be broken before Him, to recognize and acknowledge that we are sinners saved by grace, right? The world is telling us we need to learn to love ourselves, we need to build up our self-esteem and so forth. Exact opposite. The Bible warns us that the great danger is not in being humble. The great danger is being prideful. And Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And yet the world kind of tells you just the opposite. The more highly you think of yourself, the better. And what that's created is an environment that we're living in now where because people are told to think so highly of themselves, whenever they don't get the recognition they think they deserve, whenever they don't get the perks they think they deserve, they're offended. And they have to go to their safe space and drink hot chocolate, you see? Or maybe make something with some Play-Doh, some clay. I'm serious. We see it all around us. And the result of that, it's not humility that causes that, it's pride. So here we have the same kind of deal. The world today, ladies, is telling you I am woman, hear me roar. Right? That's not what God's telling you. God's saying if you want to be a positive influence on your husband, your children, those around you, then the way to do that is to manifest the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I'm not saying God's telling you ladies to shut up. If anything, He's telling all of us to shut up men and women. We need to listen more and talk less. And men and women both need to exhibit a gentle and quiet spirit. Alright. For in this manner, <laughs> in former times. So now what's Peter's doing is he's drawing on the example of godly women from the past. If you want to do something right, find someone who's already done it right and follow their example. Does that make sense? It could be your mother, your grandmother, your sister, a friend, or, as Peter states here, godly women in the past, and particularly he raises up Sarah as the ultimate example of a godly wife with a gentle and quiet spirit. He says, In former times the holy women who trusted God, and right there Peter gives you ladies, he gives you the key. The key to godliness is trusting God. And again, that applies to men and women. But here specifically, he's speaking to the ladies. Holy women who trusted in God. It is your trust in God, ladies and gentlemen, 
that will enable you to submit to an imperfect man. That's what will enable you to submit to an imperfect man is your trust in God. In other words, you may not have full confidence in your husband or your boss or whoever it might be, but if you have full confidence in God, full trust in God, then you know that even when the person in authority over you makes a mistake, as long as you are doing the right thing, you are submitting to authority, you're in submission to God, He will protect you and He will take care of you. Do you believe that? Because that is true. And it says, They also adorned themselves in this manner, being submissive to their own husbands. Their adornment was a gentle and quiet spirit. Chastity, purity. And ladies, this is the adornment that truly makes you beautiful in the sight of God and I believe ultimately your husband. A gentle and quiet spirit and absolute trust in God. Verse 6. Here we go. Here's where he brings Sarah into the picture. Like Sarah. So again, Peter puts forth Sarah as the ultimate example of a godly wife who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Now, before you freak out at this, what that means is she recognized him as the leader and the head of their household. And as we discussed, not last Sunday, because I didn't teach last Sunday, but the week before, marriage is a choice. Now, someone pointed to, out to me after that service that, in fact, their parents were part of an arranged marriage. And we know that in times past, that was practiced in many cultures and societies, the arranged marriage. But in today's world, and even in the Gentile culture in which Peter and Paul were primarily ministering, because they'd been rejected by the Jewish population as a whole. Yes, there were Jewish believers in the early church, but we know very quickly uh, their ministry passed from the Jewish world to the Gentile world. In many of those areas, uh, people did have a choice regarding marriage. And certainly in this world we're living in today, it is a choice. There are still some cultures that practice arranged marriage. But, ladies, as I speak to you here today, you do have a choice. And so, if you don't want to put yourself in a position like this, where you need to acknowledge your husband as the leader and the head of the household, then you may be better off to remain single. Because if you enter into a marriage relationship, and this goes for the man or the woman, if either party enters into the marriage commitment, the marriage relationship, thinking, well, I don't really like them, but I can change them. And you laugh, but that happens all the time. Now you might say, I love them, but I don't like them. It could be love, or you could be in lust with them. There's a lot of that going around too. But anybody who enters into a marriage relationship thinking, well, see, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. See, ideally, and I think God set it up this way, the courtship phase, by and large, is one that's very idealistic. You know, very much head in the clouds. Oh, he's so wonderful. 
Oh, she's so wonderful. They can do no wrong. And then after you get married, that's when you start changing your tune. And the things that per- perhaps even attracted you to them, now you don't like those so much. <laughs> but if you go in thinking, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, that's okay, I'll change them. Man, that is a recipe for disaster. Because first of all, the only way that you can ever hope for them to change is by you doing what Peter is telling you to do here and you may not want to do that. You may not want to submit to that person. You may not want to have chaste behavior. And God may not want to change the things in that person that you want to change. See, there's a multitude of issues that come into play here. So I would highly recommend that you think twice before getting into a marriage relationship with somebody where your primary goal is to change them. If you can't love them and accept them for who they are, you probably shouldn't go there. Because there's a good chance they might never change. And even if God wants them to change, guess what? They have to want to change too. Assuming that they need to change. Okay, so she obeyed Abraham, called him her master. And then, well, and I know the next thing that some of you ladies might say would be this. Well, if I had a husband like Abraham, it would be easy to be like Sarah. After all, Abraham was the father of the Hebrews, the father of the Jewish faith, the father of us all, really. Father Abraham, you know that song? Had many sons. And we acknowledge Abraham as the father of of Judaism and really Christianity because Judaism came out of or Christianity came out of Judaism it all started with Father Abraham so if I had a husband like Abraham who obviously was very spiritual very godly I mean after all God called Abraham his friend now if my husband was a friend of God like Abraham I'd have no problem I'd call him master too really all right, I want to read a couple passages from Genesis for you. It's a, lot, it's a little bit lengthy, but I really want to drive home the point here. So it'll be a little sub-teaching within a teaching. First of all, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 11. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, this is Abraham, he said to Sarai, so this is before their names had been changed. They were Abram and Sarai. And then later on, God changes their names as they come into a a newer and deeper relationship with Him and begin to fulfill their calling. Here, they're Abram and Sarai. Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Everything we see in the Scriptures seems to indicate Sarai slash Sarah was a knockout, so to speak. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. And, of course, that was a common practice in ancient times. If you really liked somebody else's wife, then you just kill the husband and take her. 
Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake. <laughs> In other words, Sarah, it's going to be better for you if you protect me. Okay? If you don't want to lose your hubby-wubby, aby-waby here. And that I may live because of you. Sounds like he's a little bit of a chicken here, doesn't it? So it was when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman that he, she was very beautiful. So it wasn't just Abraham's imagination. He had a beautiful wife. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. So in other words, she was so gorgeous, they thought, this is one Pharaoh is going to want. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. In other words, she was about to be inducted into his harem. He treated Abram well for her sake. Man, Abram, I really like your sister. Let me shower some gifts upon you here. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you tell me that she why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. So see, that hadn't happened happened yet. That was his intention. Fortunately, there'd been no quote consummation of that relationship. Now therefore, here's your wife, take her and go your way. Because you've brought me much harm. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now Sarai could have spoken out and said, Wait a minute. I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not his sister. I'm his wife. But she maintained that gentle and quiet spirit. And even though Abram was in the wrong, God protected her. And they wound up leaving Egypt with all this plunder, if you will, all this, this livestock and so forth. But it happens a second time. Not just once. You might say, well, you know, even Abram, as great of a man of God as he was, could, could have a slip. He could slip up once. Well, he didn't just slip up once. He did it again. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. We've heard that one before. In fact, it turns out she is his half-sister, but half-truths are not truths. Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, just like Pharaoh had done before. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Look who's watching out for Sarah and protecting her. Who is it? God. Who actually, if we want to be real technical here, who betrayed her? Abraham, her husband. And yet she submitted to that. But Abimelech had not come near her. In other words, he'd not 
tried to be intimate with her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did she not say to me, she is my, did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Prophets are not perfect. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You've done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So Sarah was, in fact, Abraham's half-sister. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, then they bore children. So during this time period, we don't know how long this lasted. Things are always condensed. Uh, the time frame is condensed in the Bible. But long enough, apparently, that uh, God had stricken the women uh, with barrenness, infertility, and now they're able to bear children again. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So again, ladies, oh, if only I had a husband like Abraham, I would be more than happy to submit. Really? We see several things here. One, Abraham's trust in God was lacking. Would you agree? He was afraid people would kill him and take his wife. I wouldn't exactly call that trusting in God. Secondly, as a result... He selfishly put his wife in an extremely compromised position. Not to mention, Pharaoh in his court in the first case, Abimelech in his court in the second case, wouldn't exactly call him the ideal husband at that point. Putting his wife in an extremely compromised position. Thirdly, it was Sarah's trust in God. Not Abraham. 
It was her trust in God, and it was absolute. Just like when God would later on call Abraham to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him unto the Lord. Do we all know that story? So in that case, Abraham did exhibit absolute trust and faith in God. He had grown somewhat spiritually from the time of these two incidences. But at this point in time, it's not Abraham, it's Sarah who's exhibiting absolute trust in God, being put in a very seriously compromised position. And as a result, we see that God protected her, blessed her, and even blessed Abraham because of Sarah's trust in God. It's crazy from our human natural perspective to look at this and see that even though Abraham really betrayed his wife and exhibited a lack of trust in God, that as a result of Sarah's obedience to God, submitting to her husband, trusting in God, not only does God extricate them both from this perilous situation, He blesses her and He even blesses Abraham. So wives, you can be the instrument of blessing. Not only will God bless you, He will bless your husband, He will bless your children. And so rather than looking at yourselves as inferior, oh, this is so horrible, I can't believe this. If I'd have known this when I became a Christian, I wouldn't have become one. If I knew I had to submit to that guy. No, but God has placed you in a very important, key, pivotal place. Because, first of all, I believe that women, and this is borne out in the Gospels, in the New Testament, as you look at the followers of Christ. And this is why I believe God set it up this way. Men have their strengths, women have their strengths. But I believe on the whole, women have a greater propensity and tendency for spirituality and holiness than men do. And again, the Bible is rife with examples. King David, Abraham, different ones. Solomon. They were God's men, but I'm telling you, they, were, they had some very fleshly attributes. David's famous for adultery and murder, so forth. The good news is, God is a God of grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, and He uses imperfect people because if He didn't, He couldn't use anybody. But ladies, you have such a key, pivotal role within our society and within the family. Your ability to have an impact for good, to bring blessing into your families. God has given you that. It's a tremendous gift and a tremendous responsibility. God protected her, blessed her, and even blessed Abraham because of Sarah's trust in God and submission to her extremely imperfect husband. And then Peter says, you are her daughters if you do what is right. So Peter lifts Sarah up as the ultimate example of a godly wife. You are her daughters. Sarah had no biological daughters. She only had one child, Isaac. 
But women who follow Sarah's godly example are her spiritual offspring. And later on, now even as we talked about the fact that Abraham would grow to a new level, being willing to even sacrifice his own son, knowing that God could and would bring him back from the dead if necessary. That's what the scriptures tell us. Sarah kind of had a reversal in that when the promise of the son was delayed, she was the one who took control, if you will, and put Hagar, her handmaid, with Abraham so that Hagar would become pregnant with Ishmael and that curse is still alive and well on planet earth today. So Abraham took a step forward. Sadly, Sarah took a step backward. And my point is this. Ladies, you can learn from her godly example and you can also learn from her mistakes. What not to do. She took control because she was tired of waiting on God and Hagar came into the mix and the sons of Ishmael are still trying to destroy Israel today. God loves the sons of Ishmael too and He wants them to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Sarah, in her disobedience this time, brought a curse upon her people that has lasted for 3,000 years. You are her daughters if you do what is right. There's a, a little expression that I'll share with you. A marriage is like a long trip in a tiny rowboat. If one passenger starts to rock the boat, the other has to steady it. Otherwise, they will go to the bottom together. And ladies, I think in many cases, God has given you that important role of being the one to steady the boat but it requires absolute trust in God and submission to Him and to your husband if you're married. You are, are her daughters if you do what is right. According to Peter, ladies, to do what is right is to clothe yourself with quiet and gentle spirit and submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So if you're not in submission to the Lord you're probably not in submission to your husband either. But if you are in submission to the Lord, He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will enable you to be in submission to your husband because this is pleasing in the sight of God. It's honoring to Him and God will use it to bring blessing into your home, into your family. And do not give way to fear. Now, if Sarah had given way to fear, God only knows what the outcome might have been it, it could have very well turned out the way that Abraham feared it would turn out. That ultimately he would have been killed. Sarah would have been taken into the harem of Pharaoh or the harem of Abimelech if she'd given way to fear. But she trusted God. She obeyed God. She submitted to her husband. And when we give way to fear, it means that we're not trusting in the Lord. And see, the fear is that if you submit to your husband... He's going to mess your life up. He's going to take things in a bad direction. He's going to just really screw everything up. And you're afraid of that. So you don't want to submit to Him because you know that you know better. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the feeling that He doesn't know what He's doing makes you fearful. That's why the trust has to be in God. 
Because is God bigger and better and stronger than your husband? Absolutely. Sorry, guys. God's bigger and better and stronger than I am. And He's bigger and better and stronger than you are. But if we, as men, are submitted to Him and obedient to Him, then His goodness, His betterness, will infiltrate us and will be better men for it. Okay, guys, next week, it, it's taken us about three, time, three teachings, three Sundays, to get through this passage on ladies, but it's quite interesting. Next week, it's your turn. And just like his colleague Paul, Peter can do as much damage to the men with one verse as he's done to the women in six. And it's not really damage, I'm being facetious. But uh, in one verse, uh, Peter's going to lay it on us guys real strong. So we'll all look forward to that, won't we? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we want to lift up the women here today. Those that are married, those that are not. Father, those that are not, we ask that you'd help all of us corporately as a body of believers to be supportive for our single women. Lord, we know for those women that are not married, you are their husband. And so we ask that you'd help us to support them, encourage them, uplift them, and you'd help them to draw everything they need from you, Lord. And Father, that goes for each and every one of us. We have to be able to draw what we need from you before we can give out to others. Father, we often think of marriage in terms of what can I get out of the relationship. But Lord, I know that what you would like us to focus on is what can I give? How can I bless that person? How can I make their life better? And Lord, as we do that, you come in like a flood and you bless us and you strengthen us and you encourage us. But when we're focused on ourselves... It never turns out good. So we do pray for the single ladies that you would be their husband, be their protector, but you would also help us to be a part of that by coming alongside of them. And we pray that they would, they would know that we are available to them, that they don't have to go through life alone. They have you and they have their brothers and sisters in Christ. But Lord, for those ladies here that are married today, I pray that you would help them to see that their role in the marriage relationship is not a subservient one or an inferior one. In fact, it is probably the very key and pivotal role within the family. We know that men are to take the lead. They are to be the protectors and the providers and so forth. But women really bring that stabilizing influence into the home, that gentle and quiet spirit. And oftentimes, Father, when we men are way off in the flesh. It's our wives as they are in submission to you, trusting in you fully. They can bring us back into line, like Peter says, without a word. Just by their behavior, just by their attitude, just through their godliness. So I want to pray for each lady here today that you would help them to see these things, to understand these things, to actually be encouraged by seeing how important they are within the role of the marriage, the family. We ask that you'd help all of us, men and women, to be in submission to you and then to submit to one another in love because of our reverence for you, Father. We pray for healing in our families, Lord, 
The enemy has done an, an amazing job of attacking the family today, destroying families, tearing families apart. And we pray that you'd help us to be a part of bringing that to an end. That we could take a stand in your name for families, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our nation. That you would rebuild and restore the family unit that you created, which makes our society and our culture strong as families are committed and dedicated to you, Father. We pray in these closing moments that you would draw people by your Spirit, those who need prayer today, need a touch from you, whether it's the infilling of your Holy Spirit, the healing of their physical bodies, the healing of their hearts and minds, whatever it might be, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit in these closing moments, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.